This program is brought to you by W. W. Norton and Company, publishers of Poetry Unbound by Patrick Otuma. Now in paperback and featuring immersive reflections on 50 powerful poems. This is Diana Hamilton reading Trance Essay for Remembering Images. At first, I spoke to my neighbor daily, in part because of the weather, he could still sit out on bench. In part because of vice, I was chain-smoking and he'd shout for one when I passed. But this stopped, in part because of trust, he did not believe I was smoking less and resented the imagined lie. In part because of roots, at first I added 15 minutes to my commute to walk north, past his apartment, towards 6th Avenue, and up through the park as this removes 25 to 50 percent of my anxiety. But now that I've lived here half a year, I find myself incapable of waking up early enough to permit this easy remedy, so I walk the other, faster direction. And in part because of novelty. Having covered introductions, we now tend to say only hello when I do pass. I have a sense of what he looks like due to this regularity, but I could not describe his building. Someone I was hoping to kiss informed me that it's easy to remember images. All you have to do, they said, is take a lesson from a children's book, one in which a girl could remember anything she wanted by saying click and imagining she held a camera. Later, distracted on my walk home by the kiss's memory, which came easily because my eyes had been closed for it, I took a wrong turn and struggled to find my building on an unfamiliar street. That's why I'm studying. There's my own blue bicycle, the round planter to the left of the steps I used to enter, which the downstairs neighbor keeps tidy, cutting back the plants that don't stay green in the winter, for example, but keeping the hardier cabbages watered, though I've never seen her do this work. Somewhere between two and five pride flags, some of which are there year-round, while others appear only in June. A fire hydrant, the windows of the apartment that face mine, through which I see my least favorite bookshelves. They look mildly expensive and comprise a set of intersecting diamonds, making the books hard to remove and reshelve since they're all piled at slants. Some scaffolding that seems to attract unhappy couples mid-fight. One set of table and chairs. A house that frequently puts books or toys or clothes out on the sidewalk for free. I know that there are two or more remarkable sculptures, but only because I remember remarking. One might be of a silver bust of a woman, maybe an angel or a pop star while others are definitely at the base of the railings to the steps across the street, but I don't remember now if they're dogs or birds. There is a statue of an owl on a window ledge I can see from one chair, and it often scares me. Now, some buildings have Christmas lights, but I couldn't say which, and that could easily lead me to turn down any other residential block. There is a lilac bush immediately next door, and in May, it helped me identify my building from very far away. But when we came to pick up our keys, I began to cry. It resembles another that grew in front of my childhood, and I'm sentimental. I sat down and demanded my roommate tell me why he hadn't pointed out the lilacs earlier, and he threw up his hands. He had tried, but I had talked over him. When the kisser who recommended I take snapshots of my surroundings came to my apartment, there is a chance that they noticed many more things. They probably know whether it's broken up at any point by vinyl siding, or what words appear on the inflatable Santa down the hill. When we passed through the park, I did attempt to capture the snow lifting from the ground in spirals, the two bodies, one seated, one running, blocking some light, 
the corner eye view of their metallic jacket. But I wanted to remember what we looked like to the seated person, so replaced the above description with an imagined photo of two people connected by elbows, which I now see instead. My panic, when it comes in public, starts with lost vision, at home with the heart. The classroom used to turn to white. I could make out maybe the light from the street lamps visible from the class's windows, but the shapes of the students' faces and the windows themselves would be gone. I got very good at remembering where I'd left my chair, sitting down and pretending to glance thoughtfully at my notebook. If I said, yes, mm-hmm, anyone else? My students would feel prompted to speak without raising hands, and sometimes I'd take illegible notes on their comments in order to prolong the period before I would need my eyesight back. If no voices emerged, but I could still register the electronic sounds enough to know my hearing was still with me, I would spontaneously become a person who lectures, or I would ask them to break into groups of three to four to collectively answer some question. Years before, when sound and sight left together, I'd sit on the floor of the subway, hoping to faint from a more auspicious starting position. Looking at things indirectly, on a telephone, say, does not typically produce such a reaction. About this poem. In late December, I kept turning down the wrong block on my way home in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. So I wrote this poem to document the few visual details I remember. I also wanted to write poetic images that were as straightforward as possible. I'd been reading a lot of HD, and while I couldn't muster a sea rose, I thought I could conjure the common lilac. On December 20th, the poet Charles Theonia told me they'd been assigned to write an essay in a trance, and I decided to do their homework myself. I listened to Donna Summer on repeat and visualized my block. A few months later, now that a pandemic has shut New York down, I see even less.